here or so, and uh, his wife always attended his sermons. And he was getting dressed in the morning and he couldn't find this particular piece of clothing, struggled to find it in his, in his cupboard, and then he saw this little box in the cupboard, right at the back of the closet, and uh, opened it, and lo and behold, three eggs in a little box, and about a hundred one dollar coins. So, he thought about that and called his wife and said, what is this? And she said, uh, oh, the eggs. Well, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit embarrassed, I didn't want to hurt you. And she said, what? He said, why? Why would you hurt me? And she said, well, every time you do a bad sermon, I put one egg in that little thing. And he thought, well, that's not so bad, there's only three eggs for 30 years. That's quite good, actually, nothing to feel bad or sad about. And he said, so what's the hundred, one dollar coins? And she said, oh, whenever there's a dozen of eggs, I sell them to the neighbor for a dollar. <laughs> so, uh, I was thinking I should tell you, you know, there's a lot of you, especially, unfortunately, some of the people in the back, but also front, that doesn't speak English as a first language. You may speak all kinds of other languages. So I want to give you the freedom to say to me, Victor, I didn't hear that. Just put up your hand and say, didn't get that, didn't hear that, and then I will try the best I can to repeat because I'm also speaking not in my first language. So, <coughs> uh, my title for this morning is very simple. Problems, monkeys and birds. Problems, monkeys and birds. So in the business world where I used to come from, uh, we have the saying, Andre loves it, a problem is only a problem if you can't solve it with money. Jan knows, he's with me on the wall. So a problem is only a problem if you can't solve it with money. So what is an example of that? Well, let me tell you, when I got married, Phil was just about ready to enter into the back or the front of the church, whatever you want to call it, and I was sitting in the pastor's vestibule with the pastor. And as the song almost started to play, the, the organist was already pressing a few notes. My brother ran into the door of the what is it? Vestibule. And he ran in and he said to me, Victor, all the cutting, everything is good, but there's no tea or coffee. There's cups, everything. And so I just looked at him and I put my hand in my pocket and I didn't tell him at that stage that was all the money I had. But I just put, pulled it out and I gave it to him and I said, well, solved. And he ran out the door. And I could get married and the problem was solved. Solved with money. Not really a problem, just a cost. So for us, when a problem in, in the business world is a problem, we can solve it with money. But if we can't solve it with money, then it becomes a real problem. Now in us, in our world, as Christians, that's difficult, that's different, that's completely and totally different. Why? Because, uh, and by the way, in the Bible there's only one verse that I could find that gives an indication on how to solve a problem. The word problem only comes, occurs three times. 
And this is Daniel. Let me read to you Daniel 5. I just don't, don't go there. It's one verse. Just listen carefully. Daniel 5, I don't even, didn't even note the verse down. Daniel was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding. And also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. So in a biblical sense, when we have a real problem, what do we need to solve it? Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. We need Daniel, we need Solomon. But we ain't got no Daniel or Solomon always. But we've got the Bible. And the Bible is filled with wisdom and knowledge of God, not of us. And so we can use the wisdom and the knowledge of the Bible to solve a problem. Now again, I want to <coughs> refer back to the normal business world and talk for a moment about the other thing uh, of problems. I call it the jumping monkey. Many of us have or know a bit about that concept. But here it is. If somebody comes to you and says to you, Oh, Peter, we've got a problem. Then you say, Oh, what is your problem? You see, the monkey has stayed on that person's shoulder. But if you say, Oh, what is our problem? What happened? The monkey has already jumped onto my shoulders. <coughs> now, this is a business world solution. Again, as Christians, we've got to question the wisdom of that. Because, yes, in the church, we sometimes have people that will come to us with all kinds of various problems. Some of them are really insignificant, and it is not good for a pastor, for a leader, to always allow all the problems to jump to you. You have to guard. But here, we have the, the difference between the world and us as Christians. As Christians, we need to do and solve in the biblical way. We have to be careful. We have to be understanding. We have to solve with wisdom and knowledge. So sometimes, if we have the ability to distinct, to see, then we revert the problem back and keep it on the shoulder of the person where it is, if it's simple. But if it isn't, then it's our duty to sit and pray with that person, to share with that person, to communicate with that person, to find out what and how we can really give attention to this problem, and then try to solve it in that way. Problems can be very serious. I started speaking in, a, in an English church for the first time about 15 years ago. And a little bit later, when I was, was finding myself a little bit more, uh, became an elder in the church. And I wasn't an elder for a week in the phone rang. And somebody said to me, Victor, I just want to tell you, this is the last call I'm going to make to you. And I thought, so what? never talked to you before, and this person said to me, when I put this phone down, I'm going to commit suicide, I'm going to kill myself. 
All I want to know from you is will I go to heaven or will I go to hell? Nice way to start the ministry as well. Really nice. And then you need special wisdom from God in that situation. I'm not going to tell you the outcome except that when I last met this person, uh, that person was on her on way somewhere uh, to another town with family and so on. So apparently, uh, and as far as I know, still living. But you know what? That book is an example of where we need not our own wisdom, not our own knowledge, but special wisdom that only the Holy Spirit can give you. Wisdom from God. Sorry, this thing is, I don't know what he's calling the bit of noise. Here. I'm, I'm too close here. Oh, so, if we, if we have this uh, in mind that problems can be very serious sometimes, but we can solve it if we use the wisdom that we find in the Bible. Now, there is a secret, there is a way, there is a condition for all people to be able to use this. I'm coming back to that in a minute. I also want to mention uh, visions and wrong principles. You know, people will come to you if you're in the ministry and they will say to you, I've got a vision for this. I've got a vision for that. God said to me that the way that we do in this church is wrong. The moment somebody says the way is wrong and you already know, your red light's coming. Because God has so far at this point led the church in the way it's going. So maybe, just possibly, it's not wrong. But you need to again apply wisdom and knowledge to find out, is it wrong or is it not wrong? And uh, people tend to dump visions onto leaders. Now again, you cannot come to a pastor with a vision if you are not prepared to get a yes or a no answer and you cannot come unless you understand that that thing normally has to be prayed about, has to be uh, sometimes struggled through if it's a big thing. And it can't always be done. Because we have to be careful in the church. We can end up having 52 different ministries and do every one of them off. Or we can have 15 ministries and do them all very well. And we need to be careful. And we need wisdom and knowledge from God. There's also a saying, a very famous saying, most people know. He that has the vision has the job. <laughs> very, very bad Christian principle. Why? Because God enables visionaries. So we cannot assume that a vision, Young knows my position on this, so I'm not taking him on. <laughs> you cannot assume that the vision is not from God. And if somebody comes, dump it back on that person. We need to be praying and have wisdom and have knowledge and find out. Yes, that vision may be from God. Roger, may I speak about you? Roger came not very long ago and he said, I've got a vision for a, what do you call it, Roger? Child refuge. Child refuge in Morocco. And we listened to him. Roger's part of the leadership. And we thought, well, he might have a point there. Big thing, not something that we as a little church can really do. But we said to him, brother, 
We give you the go ahead. We'll support you as far as we can. It's not the church's thing, but go ahead. You've got our blessing. We pray. And you know, it's just going leaps and bounds forward. The University Council became involved, the Shire, uh, the other people, the local commission became involved, and it looks as if that whole thing is going to go through and provide a wonderful thing. A vision, a big one, too big for us, but we had to apply wisdom and knowledge to solve that problem. So, I was listening to Andre yesterday evening, and for those of you who were not here, you really missed something because it was a very broad, very good message about the whole of the church as a healing community. But one of the things that struck me, struck me, struck me actually, is <laughs> 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 so, he said, uh, he said something like, life is sometimes just horrible. Life is sometimes just horrible. You know that the boys was uh, building sandcastles on the beach, and they asked a famous old businessman to come and judge them. And they had all these lovely sandcastles, and then this little boy had a horribly looking little feeble castle, and then he goes off. But the boy's mother was a nice brown girl, and so the old man looked at all these castles, and he looked through all of them. And he said, so which one do you choose? And he says, that one. And all the mothers was up in arms. How can you choose this horrible little castle? And he just looked up at them and he said, you know what? Life is not fair. You better get used to it. <laughs> so, life is sometimes horrible. And at the same time, people are hurting, but God is at work in the world, in our world, and in this church, in our church. God is at work. So even if it's horrible, He uses those circumstances sometimes to open up a new understanding for us. So I have this important job this morning. I want to speak to you about a, a subject which says how to get to heaven. How do we get to heaven? You see, the little, the little kids were sitting in a class and the teacher was saying to them, So, if I am a really good teacher and I never punish you and I clean the classroom and I do all the good things here and at the end when I die, will I go to heaven? And they, she, they said, No. And she said, So, if I go out and I help a lot of people and I give money to all kinds of things and I, I just do all the good things that come along my way, will I get to heaven? And the kid said, no. And then she said, so, how then do I get to heaven? And the little five-year-old at the back of the class stood up and he said, you've got to be dead. <laughs> so, you're going to be dead to get to heaven. But that unfortunately isn't all you've got to be. There is also other conditions involved.
I nearly ended the sermon because I've got my, my last page in front of the page. So, in a situation of a church, we have three groups of people. We have people who are not Christians, who know they're not Christians, who have clearly stated the fact that they are not Christians. Then we have people who are Christians for some time and are quite certain of their salvation because they understand the biblical principles. But we always have also a third group. We've got a lot of people who are just not certain. They are Christians, but they don't know whether they really are Christians. They believe, sort of, they and you know, one day I was preaching here in Mora, and uh, there was a couple that didn't attend the church much, but they came in that day. And I was already, my message was prepared, and I saw them come in and I thought, you know what, Lord, I better tweak this message a little bit. Because I'm preaching today and I'm teaching Christians on some Christian principles. But here, these two coming in, I know they're not right with you. So maybe I should just share with them a bit about how can I be certain. And what happened is I started sharing. So I'm going to share a little bit of that with you and come back to the story. So what does we read in the Bible? We read this. That Romans, I'm just reading a verse here and there. Romans 8, the first two verses. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the first thing that we need to understand. Christian relationship theology. I don't believe Christian is a religion because it's not about religion, it's about relationship. So that teaches us that condemnation goes away when we are in Christ. That's the secret. That's the difficult thing to understand for some. The second verse for those who are in Christ, because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So, what that verse says to us is that the law of the Spirit comes and cuts off the law of sin and death. And once we understand that and believe that and take it up into our hearts, suddenly something in the spiritual world changes. The law of life, the law of Christ is in our heart and it sets us free from the law of sin and death. In John 5 verse 24 we read, very truly I tell you, whoever hears, hears my word, that is hope, and believes in him who sent me, faith, has eternal life. Amen. And will not be judged, but what? Has crossed over from death to life. So for us, who are not Christians, if some of us are not Christians. This is such an important bit. Where, where does faith start for us? Most of us. There's no absolute rule in the Bible. God uses different methods in different ways. 
But one of the basic things, broadly speaking, is I hear, I go to somebody and that person say, you know what, God has been good to me, and start to share. I hear somebody speaking from somewhere in the Bible. I hear somebody sharing the gospel. We all hear. And by the hearing, Paul says, we start to get hope. Hope of what? Hope for eternal life. Hope that when we die one day, we can go to the good place. And we don't understand it initially. We just have this hope that starts to work in our life. Because when this starts, it's a process where the Holy Spirit is starting to speak in our hearts. And through that, faith grows. And the faith grows because of the hope. Paul says hope comes first, and then faith. So, when it grows, we start to understand more and more and more. And eventually, inside ourselves, we think, humanly speaking, we think, I want that. But it's not necessarily just you that want that. It's God's working in your heart in your mind, in your spirit. That's already working on you for a time and you want more and more of that. And I remember sharing with me yesterday or this morning <coughs> about a particular person that accepted the Lord. And he said when she accepted the Lord, the next time, her face looked up and she just smiled. And you could see the difference in the person. Because now that person knows that she knows that she knows I've made that step. I have cut that line. Sin and death is no more applying to me. I am forgiven. So, the little girl, the little boy in the back of the church, the five-year-old, was correct when he said, you've got to be dead. But, if you die and you die in Christ you will go to heaven. If you die and you do not die in Christ you will not go to heaven. So he was only, she was only partly correct in that statement. For us as Christians here, yeah, let's read again Hebrews 10 verse 17 Jesus said, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. See, we don't have to do any sacrifice for sin. But it is important to understand also another concept. For those who are from different religions, especially from some of the world, world's big religions, the Bible talks about the mystery of Christ. And you know what? It really is a mystery. And it will always remain a mystery for those who have not yet come to faith in Christ. And suddenly when you come to faith in Christ, the mystery, the mystery is solved. The Bible says that mystery, how it all works, is only solved for those who accept Christ as their Lord. So let me read again from Colossians. In Colossians we read this, two verses. 
having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away. How? He has taken it away. He's taken, uh, Christ has taken all of this away. How? By nailing it to the cross. <coughs> and this is part of that mystery that's so difficult to understand. And once you accept Christ, it all becomes clear. Because Christ has put, been put on the cross for us. Because he was nailed on the cross, he overcame all these sinful <coughs> things. So what's the next verse saying? Having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now to understand that verse, we need to understand a bit of the history. You know what the Romans did? Because this is written in the context of Rome. The Romans went to war, and they had this big fight. And most of the times, what they did is they killed a lot of people, and then when the white flag goes up in our modern times, I don't know what they did in the Roman times, I really don't know. But when the war ends, they captured everybody. All the soldiers, all the women and children, plus mostly all their possessions, and brought it back to their city. And then when they entered the city, they had this massive parade. And they walked there, and the soldiers were standing on the sides of the road. And all these conquered former soldiers was paraded there, and they, they walked down this, this street, and the people were shouting and chanting, because they had victory. They conquered this enemy. And this is the example that Paul is actually using. So those people understood it very well. But only he was not talking about people. He was talking about the spiritual realm. He was talking about conquering of the spirit world. And then he says, after he talked about conquering the spirit world, he says, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So it's, it's an interesting concept. It's a difficult concept for non-Christian people sometimes to understand. But it's also, for us as Christians, important to understand that. And in summary, it is important for us as Christians to understand that once we've done that commitment, once we've stepped over that line and we have committed our life, we can have absolute certainty. We can know that Jesus did all of this for us. Sin will always remain a powerful force. Doesn't mean sin stops. Doesn't mean that any one of us stops sinning. We still are human beings. We are myths in this world of sin. But the wages of sin is death. And that part has been cancelled. By Jesus. So we will no longer, when we die, not go to heaven. We will go and spend eternity with Christ. Because there is no wage for our sins. God doesn't see that anymore. That has been cancelled, that has been removed. And if we are, if I go back to the couple that entered the church that I explained this thing to, 
Your stage is finished. When your sermon is finished, what do you think? The couple came running forward and said, I said, Lord. Who? They jumped up and left the church. And I was very disappointed. I stood there and I thought, I missed another egg in my basket. <laughs> and you know what? The lady got up and she was a Christian for many years. And she came to me and she said to me, Victor, you know, today you've solved the problem that I've been with, working with for many years in my Christian life. I never knew that I really can be served. But I can. Praise the Lord for that. So we must be so careful that we do not limit God by our thinking. That we allow Him to speak to me, to you, to everyone when we speak. He may very well, even if it's just a message on becoming a Christian, He may speak to you about something in your life that you didn't even know. So important. You may find the mystery of Christ opening up your heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. So in summary, I spoke about three things. Real problems is solved in a Christian way by knowledge and understanding. And the whole of the Bible are full of teaching on knowledge and understanding. Number two, I spoke about certainty of salvation. And that is a key starting point for us to help others. If you're not a Christian, you are not able to help others in a Christian way. You may be able to reach out to people, but you can't help them in a Christian way. Because the mystery of Christ is still not part of you. And then the last thing, while sin remains in this world, Christ has broken the wages of the sin, which is death. And we can have certainty in Christ, our sin has been paid for by Christ on the cross. So, let's trust that we can sin in our hearts, we can sin, cast your burdens unto Jesus, for He cares for you. Cast your problems unto Jesus. He cares for you. Give your visions to Jesus. He cares for you. Amen.